Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. We are going to be in the 15th chapter, starting in the 14th verse today. So while you open up your Bibles, let's talk just a little bit about where we are in the book. We are in St. Paul's closing matter now. From chapter 15, verse 14 to the end of the book, this is St. Paul tying everything up. And not tying everything up in a theological sense. He has already done that. He has taken his big themes in this book, brought them out, expanded upon them, and then brought them back. About how the law cannot save. How we are justified by faith alone and Christ alone. How that means that Jesus died for our sins but rose for our justification. How this doesn't mean we can sin all willy-nilly, but rather out of gratitude and out of being a new man, we serve our Lord Christ out of gratefulness and the understanding that the law is now our friend as opposed to our enemy. We do good works because we are Christians, not in order to be Christians. And he's brought up the new normal for life between believers, where now Israel is understood to be the church, not an ethnic congregation of Jews in the first century AD. Rather, Israel is all of those who share the faith of Abraham, and that means our good works towards one another should be accommodating, like a family. And there's all sorts of stuff that he brings up. I mean, we've spent 39 installments now talking about everything in the book of Romans. It is the closest thing you're going to get to a systematic theology textbook in Holy Scripture. But now as he wraps things up, He's going to be spending some time explaining some things. Some of the reasons for his tone, for what he's doing, his mission, his hopes and dreams for the future. And it is counterintuitive to a lot of Lutherans. Let's just jump right into the text to find out why. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ." And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's rewind this a little bit. It is all Every last verse, incredibly surprising and very counterintuitive to your standard Lutheran today. 
He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, if you go to a website like 1517, you might hear them say things that directly contradict this verse. Oh, we are no good. We only sin. In fact, we only sin willy-nilly. We are such willy-nilly sinners that there is absolutely nothing good in us. After all, what did St. Paul say? I know in my flesh no good dwells, right? So St. Paul would never, ever say, you yourselves are full of goodness. <laughs> this just doesn't work. In fact, the only way this verse stays inspired Holy Scripture is if St. Paul is referring to goodness extra nos, outside of ourselves. You cannot be filled with your own goodness or any goodness whatsoever. You are just terrible. And yes, we're telling people that's why you kind of just do your own thing and read Gerhard Ferda about how to do your own thing, but say you're a Christian. No. St. Paul says quite directly, he is satisfied with the congregation to whom he preaches, and he calls them brothers. Because they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Even the Lutheran Study Bible doesn't like this verse very much. Here's the commentary on it. I get a kick out of it. <clears throat> able to instruct one another. All who have received the words of this letter are competent to instruct. Compare 1 Corinthians 1 verses 5 through 7. There may be some hyperbole here. <laughs> no. St. Paul says quite succinctly, they're full of goodness. They are full of knowledge and able to instruct. And this is knowing that nobody had read the letter yet. St. Paul says this while writing this letter, meaning he already has a high opinion of the righteousness of the Roman congregation. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. Why? Because we understand we are all sinners. But before somebody says, oh, we're all just sinners, man, St. Paul affirms here that you can be better than you once were. Everybody who is a non-believer living according to the passions of their flesh is not going to be a good person, even if coramundo, they have civic righteousness facing their fellow man. They are still not righteous before God. Yet, when you do become a believer, you do start on the process of sanctification, where you become a better person than you were before. This means, counter to what so many Lutherans all over the world have been unfortunately catechized to believe, it means that some people are better than others. Some people are more holy than others. Some people are able to have knowledge and to instruct others, and then there are other people out there who are not quite there yet. This is most certainly true. Now, the person who is better than another should be humble about that fact. 
Chances are somebody who is a better person than others is not going to feel that way because he is better in the way God wants him to be better. He will be humble. He is not going to go around parading himself in fantastic gold-encrusted vestments or those cool wizard outfits that the uh, Orthodox schema monks wear. No, chances are he's going to be a normal-looking guy. But in the eyes of God, and in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, him being confident to preach, to teach, to give instruction, to love his God above all else, and to love his neighbor as himself, having saving faith in Christ and confidence in the promises of holy baptism, this individual is better than the guy who doesn't try, who is an easy believeist, who doesn't give one hoot one way or another about holiness before God. This is why I love that meme out there of, a uh, Bane labeled as, you know, Jim the Mechanic, a deacon at his church who's been humbly studying the word of God as being better, stronger, and more manly than some goofball in a pink little leotard labeled uh, Billy, the PhD in Hebrew studies. Obviously, the deacon who has humbly studied God's word for all these years is superior to that brain on a stick who doesn't care whether or not God exists in the first place. Yes, this is counterintuitive to Lutherans because we have so thoroughly gotten it right on soteriology. We are not saved by being a better person than others. We are not saved by our merits or anything within ourselves. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. It is God's grace that saves us, not us being better people. But St. Paul can nonetheless say, Hey, you guys are way better than you used to be. I am personally satisfied with you. Pepesmai, koine for persuaded. I am personally persuaded now by your efforts, by your understanding, everything that you are already full of knowledge and able to instruct. That's good. He is happy with the Roman congregation. He does not want them feeling so discouraged because of harsh words. And so he explains it a little bit more in the 15th verse. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. St. Paul is saying, hey, yes, you guys are full of goodness. You're better than you once were. I am now persuaded of that. If they were not better than they once were, he would not be persuaded. He would not be satisfied with what he's hearing and seeing about them. But there's issues, and they need to be reminded of some things that they already knew. If they're already full of knowledge, if they're already able to instruct, then they already knew that they are the true Israel. They already knew how to treat one another. They had been thoroughly and properly catechized. But they need to be reminded by way of law and gospel. Now that part, no Lutheran is quite surprised at. We all understand that, yes, because we are sinners, no matter how much we are sanctified, no matter how advanced we are in the Christian life, we're still going to sin. 
we're still going to mess up. We still need to hear law and gospel, and we still need to always be learning in the faith, to have a deeper and deeper appreciation of the Christian faith. This is most certainly true. We understand that, and St. Paul said, yeah, you guys were slipping up a little bit, so I decided to remind you. But what is counterintuitive is St. Paul saying, well, this is because I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. It was my job to be an apostle to all the Gentiles, and here we are now. I'm here for you guys, and because I have this ownership over this ministry, I've got to talk to you about some stuff. Now, that is very much counterintuitive to all Lutherans who these days get excommunicated if they express an understanding that there are differences between people. If St. Paul says he's speaking specifically to Gentiles, then yes, on the material plane, there are Gentiles. Truly and surely, there is such a thing as a Gentile. Uh, Galatians 3.28 does not mean that they stopped existing. To the contrary, understanding Romans 15 in comparison with and in its relationship to Galatians 3.28, you know, we've all heard it, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, etc., etc., it becomes clear that Galatians 3.28 is about how you have access to salvation no matter who you are. It does not obliterate the differences between persons that God put there when he created them. So again, very counterintuitive to modern Lutherans who really ought to read Romans until their eyes bleed if they don't understand these points. But continuing on, this is also a little counterintuitive based on standard homiletics. You don't have many pastors out there who like to preach according to a specific person. It's generally considered uncouth to preach a sermon like you are legislating a bill of attainder, saying, all right, one of my guys in my congregation is guilty of X, Y, or Z sin, so I am going to preach on that to fix it. Now, knowing that Romans is full of law and gospel, St. Paul is preaching law and gospel to them as he is teaching the faith, but he's also doing the bill of attainder bit, where he's saying, you had this wrong with you, so I decided to fix that because I have to take ownership over this ministry that God has given me and help you along reminding you what you've been taught. This would be like in a congregation where there's three or four people who are trapped in, say, fraudstering. They're fraudsters. They like scamming people. But they're giving a lot of money to the church, so everybody's kind of keeping mum about it. St. Paul is saying, I'm going to go after that guy. I will preach directly against that to prick his conscience, even if it means shaking the boat. And Lord knows, Lutherans don't like shaking the boat, do they? <sighs> Very counterintuitive. The Bill of Attainder sermon. St. Paul is putting a little bit of his stamp of approval. And obviously, propriety is involved. You don't want to get too weird about that if you are a minister. You don't want to constantly shove and push and prod your congregation such that they never understand what St. Paul says in the 14th verse. Hey, you're better than you once were. You're full of goodness. You're full of knowledge and instruction. But nonetheless, it's okay to have a bill of attainder sermon every now and then. I digress. 
Now, the 17th verse says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Is St. Paul being evil when he says he is proud of his work for God? Ooh, pride! He's full of sinful pride! And all the people out there that hate St. Paul and want to separate him from Jesus go, Ooh, see? See? He's full of sinful pride! No, because they forget that he says in the very first three words, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He is proud of what our Lord Jesus has done through him, not proud of his own merit. So, those people out there who reject Paul and claim that this is some sort of sinful pride on his part can go pound sand. Now, verse 18 is controversial very counterintuitive, but it is extremely controversial among people out there that have brain worms. And he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Is this all a conspiracy? Was St. Paul sent out by the Sanhedrin or by the Pharisees to secretly enslave the Gentiles? No. <laughs> Every now and then somebody trots out that conspiracy theory. They're typically people that believe Jesus did not exist. And every now and then they will pull out this verse to say, Aha, this is St. Paul telling people that he scammed, that he scammed them. This is him just giving up the game and telling people, Ah, yes, this is me converting you to Judaism secretly so that you obey all the Old Testament laws. <laughs> of course, this falls flat because St. Paul has spent more of this letter condemning uh, Jewish Christians for holding too fast to the law and holding too fast to their ethnicity and everything. He spent all that time condemning them and their bad attitude towards their Gentile friends rather than telling the Gentiles that they have to become Jews. To the contrary, this is the same guy that wrote Galatians, guys. He's the same one that said, don't get circumcised. He's told us that we have freedom from the law, that God is not just the God of the Jews out there in Israel somewhere. To the contrary, God is the God of the entire universe. So he is the God of everyone. We worship him in spirit and in truth, and it does not matter if an ethnicity in one way, shape, or form seems a little bit more important than another. Instead, you're not saved by your blood. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now for the verse specifically that these people like to take out of context, they forget that hupakoen, hupakoen means to hear under. It is commonly translated as obedience, but the understanding is getting Gentiles to hear the good news that God has for them so that they are saved. This is why he says in the 18th and 19th verse, By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He did not go around telling people, You are now slaves to my God! 
and I'm going to make up a story about a guy named Jesus so that you are slaves to my God and to my people. <laughs> I know it's a little bit out of left field, but people really do see these verses that way. And they forget that there's such a thing as the next verse over that says St. Paul was getting them to obey or to listen and put their faith in the gospel by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. He is getting their attention and showing them good faith so they can trust what the word of God says. Now that brings us full circle on the spectrum of crazy people to misguided people because there are many Lutherans who are convinced that literally nothing brings faith or brings people to the obedience of faith except the preached word. So when they read here that the Gentiles are brought to the obedience of faith by word, okay, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Paul was preaching the word. He says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ. Absolutely. Indeed. And then they go, oh, wait, what? Did you just seriously tell me that St. Paul did stuff and that inspired faith? Oh, well, why don't we all just become a Christian Missionary Alliance people doing rice bowl Christianity, huh? Why don't we just do that? Because apparently now St. Paul can just do good works and everybody goes, wow, I'm going to become a Christian now. Is that what you're saying, St. Paul? And then they hear him say, by the power of signs and wonders and all the Lutherans in the crowd go, oh my goodness, St. Paul, you dirty, filthy, enthusiast, Pentecostal, charismatic dweeb. You're saying that you're speaking in tongues here? You're laying on hands? You're doing miracles, pal? We don't do that around these parts, Mr. Apostle St. Paul. Oh, signs and wonders? I was told to not even believe it if it happened right in front of me. You know, Martin Luther... Yeah, when he saw an image of Christ, he rejected it because it wasn't from God's word. So, pfft, shut up, Paul. Yes, there really are people that react this way. There are entire discernment ministries where if somebody says they had a spiritual experience, these discernment ministries swirl around the pond, suddenly striking once they have the opportunity because they smell blood in the water and they're ready to condemn you based on an experience you had or a healing that you witnessed. St. Paul is saying God made his presence known through miracles, through signs and wonders. That's not a bad thing. Now Romans 10:17 is 100% true. It is not the miracles that brought about faith. It was the word but people are much more apt to listen if you're not screaming at them, if instead you're doing nice things for them, and if instead they see that God is working through you. If indeed God works a miracle through you, I understand that that is uncommon to most people's eyes. That's perfectly fine. But it is not unreasonable for St. Paul to say, yeah, God did this through me, and it made you more amenable to hearing the word so you could be brought to faith. That's a good thing. We should not condemn that as enthusiasm. And he says, by the power of the Spirit of God, who of course is the one making all of this happen. We cannot do good works without God's Holy Spirit. We cannot have the word of God without the Holy Spirit, him providing it for us. 
We cannot do signs and wonders by ourselves. We are mere mortals. And God, the Holy Spirit, can do them, so he does them through St. Paul. And he's saying that all of this came together. Of course, the word being the first thing he mentions, because it is the word that truly brings us to faith. But... All of these things were wrapped up together for bringing the Gentiles to the obedience of hearing. Again, hupakoem, to hear, to hear under something, which yes, has the connotation of obedience, but it is a listening obedience rather than just slavery. And we continue on. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is St. Paul making sure that his mission in life, preaching Christ to all Gentiles as far as he can, being the apostle of the Gentiles, he wants to make sure that his work is fulfilled. And he doesn't want to go on anybody else's turf. He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. But he still wants to make sure that those congregations that did listen to him and those converts that God brought to the faith through him, that they're doing all right, that they are sanctified. Some people have used these verses in the last part of the passage to justify inclusivism, which is the idea that people who have never heard of Christ can somehow still accidentally put their faith in him and end up saved. That's not what St. Paul is saying at all. In fact, that kind of ignores the whole, like, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news bit that he preached earlier in Romans. Uh, yeah, inclusivism is wrong. Let's just leave it at that. But ultimately, the point of what St. Paul is saying with these verses is, you guys are doing great. I want to encourage you in that. And don't get me wrong, St. Paul says. You guys are doing great in the faith. But I wrote all this to remind you of some of these points because you were having these problems. And listen, I got a ministry and I need to make sure that it is fulfilled in you so that you are staying in the obedience of faith and hearing that you started out with. And this way I can say, at least at the end of my life, that I've been doing a good job serving Christ our Lord. Now next week we're going to go into some of St. Paul's future hopes, what he wants to do in the near future, that we hope he got to do after he wrote this letter. We're not exactly sure what St. Paul's life looked like after the Pauline epistles were written. We know that eventually he was murdered. Supposedly he had his head cut off around 63 AD. But we're not sure what happened in the meantime. That's okay. <laughs> we'll catch y'all next week to see if any of his hopes were fulfilled for that future by identifying them. But until then, I will catch you all next week. Amen and amen.